So, it's been a couple weeks due to uh, me uh, doing the afternoon service, but we left off uh, in the middle of this introduction to this interesting character, Simon. Uh, and this is the comparison I was seeing last night when I was studying. You can kind of see a comparison to what Luke did with, uh, with Stephen and then Philip, right? He talks about them. He pulls them out from this hole of the deacons that were named. And then he goes into talking about their stories specifically. And he's kind of doing the same thing here as you look at Simon. And then he's going to go into the story of the Ethiopian eunuch that you'll see in the next chapter. Uh, but both of those involve uh, Philip. And so uh, Philip is down in uh, Samaria and preaching the gospel and it's being received. But in the midst of that, you hear the story of this guy, uh, Simon, who is an interesting character, to say the least. And he was amazing to people. They were in awe of what he could do, supposedly, <laughs> through all of these uh, works that he was doing, uh, sorcery and whatnot. Uh, and then it comes to be discovered, hey, there's people that can really do stuff. And it's not sorcery. It's from the power of God. And this is introduced through uh, Philip as well as Peter, uh, who follows him down. But uh, we get kind of the summary in verses 10 and 11. Uh, concerning what Simon used to do and how he was captivating these Samaritans before. Because obviously, as you look at these people, they were looking for something, right? They were looking for something from some higher power, uh, namely here of God. And so they, they thought it was happening through Simon. But as they come to discover and see the real message that comes from God through Philip and Peter, it's something totally different. And guess what? It even blows Simon away. <laughs> Simon says, whoa, I was doing this stuff before and it was sleight of hand. Right now I see the real thing. Right. And I want some of that. And so we're going to see uh, Simon's story. And, and we learned a message from Simon here that we kind of learned earlier on with Ananias and Sapphira. This stuff is not to be taken lightly. Right. This is serious stuff. Right. The power of the Holy Spirit working through individuals. And I would even cite back to the Gospels when the Lord said it, right? Remember when the, uh, the Jews were saying, hey, he's doing this by the power of Satan. That's how he's able to do these miracles. And what did the Lord warn them of? He said, all blasphemy shall be forgiven. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's not something that's easily forgiven. And so even then you could see that the works done through the power of the Holy Spirit were not something to be taken lightly. And that's emphasized here again uh, in the book of Acts. And so we, we saw, see that comparison with Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to see it here with Simon. He says, hey, I want that. <laughs> I want that power. I want to be able to touch people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter is going to take him to task, right? And <laughs> going to tell him, as they say, tell him about himself uh, because he is in a bad space for the motivation by why he wants to have that power. But before we get there, we'll just talk about Simon a little bit further here in our notes and, and learn a little bit more about him and what he was doing to deceive the people before and uh, his conversion uh, thereafter. And so let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful again for the uh, grace that you've provided to us, the uh, opportunity that we have to uh, see these things from uh, a distance and we can learn from some of the missteps of the early church and some of those people that were in it and, and know that after all, they were human beings just like we are. There were no super apostles. There were no super Christians. 
They were people just like us who were experiencing uh, these things and, and the working of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And so as, as such, you see that they, they made mistakes. They, uh, they sinned. They uh, made missteps in the use of the Holy Spirit as we do now. And so we, we pray that um, we would just be able to be edified by uh, knowing that even with them, that your grace uh, uh, was sufficient for all of the needs that they had in their, their present tense salvation. And we know the same is true for us. And so we're grateful for the opportunity we, we have to look at these things. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be ever present and, and opening our minds to the truth that's in your word. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. And so uh, you see the previous response to the Samaritans. And I think I somewhat went over this before, uh, but I'll recap it here. And so going to chapter eight of Acts and verse 10, and let's do our reading and then we'll jump back into it. But Acts chapter eight and verse 10, we'll read from there through uh, probably through to 26. But it says in verse 10, to whom, speaking of Simon, they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched or really here astonished them with sorceries. But when they believed, when they believed Philip uh, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered or, or was astonished, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And so key word there, key phrase, <laughs> he was astonished by these works that were being done by, by Philip. In verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that, that, uh, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as of yet, he was not fallen upon, or he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they uh, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give us, give me also this authority, not power there, but authority, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto them, unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift, the, here really the free gift from God, may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the blood bond of iniquity, or really their unrighteousness. Then answered Simon and said, uh, Pray or supplicate ye to the Lord on my behalf, uh, that none of these things which you have spoken should come upon me. And they, when they had testified, preached the word of the Lord. And returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so we'll look at, at this a little bit further here moving forward. Now, as I start to kind of remember back through my notes, 
I'm with you guys. Sometimes I got to get my memory jogging to where we were because uh, we have that week or so break in between. But I think we did touch upon this. So I'm going to just summarize here. I, I think we left off in verse 14, actually. But this prior response to, to Simon uh, by the Samaritans, you see that they were captivated by Simon and by the works that he was doing. Now, we know on the other side of this and clearly looking back on it, that these were false works, right? These weren't anything uh, of value. They were sleight of hand and different things that caused them to believe that he had power that he didn't. And so in verse 10, this captivation uh, is, is specified by this word for give heed. They were giving heed. And I, I said here is this is of the willingness to grasp and respond favorably to the words and commands of another. And so we looked at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, where Paul uh, told the Ephesians to take heed, pay attention, listen to what I'm telling you, because there are things that are going to happen here moving forward that you'll need to be watching for. Uh, and so that's the, the similarity there. Uh, the audience of whom he was speaking uh, before was from the least to the greatest. And so all of those in Samaria, those of, of great knowledge, great power, uh, great uh, influence, they all uh, listened to what he was saying. And then you see the opinion of the Samaritans before that he was a great power from God. Right. And so where did they think we look back on it and say sorcery, <laughs> witchcraft, all of these things it doesn't come from God. Right. But these people thought that his Actual influence and authority was coming down from God. And this is where they were. And so they wouldn't have thought that they were involved in any kind of uh, demonic activity. Right. That wasn't on their mind. They wouldn't have thought that they were being bewitched or fooled by somebody. They thought this power was coming directly from God. Uh, does it sound familiar in Christendom today? <laughs> no, don't let me meddle too much, but <laughs> you have people where we think this message is actually coming from God. And when you check it against the truth of Scripture, it doesn't always balance out, right? It doesn't match up. But you see people that are really into it, right? And they say, this is, this is it. This guy right here, he's the one. Uh, and you say, I don't know about that. Maybe you want to check again. Uh, we see that here. Uh, and so uh, their beliefs were uh, were in his ability and that they were divinely inspired when we know on the other side of it, they were not. Now, the reason for their captivation, they were continually captivated by him uh, prior to uh, their conversion because they were deceived over the course of time. Now, in verse 11, it gives you a key word there. It says of a long time, right? This was going on for over an extended period of time that he was doing these different things and putting off that it was from God and they were being deceived by the different things that he was doing. And the word there is for chronological time. It's not just for a specific season of time. It's over a span of time. He was doing this before Philip came and, and showed them the truth. And uh, they continued to be ex uh, astounded or, or outside of themselves by his sorceries. And so I, I keep hitting on it with these magicians and what they're able to do, right? Through sleight of hand, you look at some of these things they do and you say, well, I don't say it now because I know they're, they're lying behind all the stuff they're doing and there's some trick, right? But a lot of people will look at that, especially children, right? A child looks at stuff that a magician does and they say, Boy, that's amazing. How do they do that? This is the kind of awe that these kind of people can inspire, right? 
when you don't know the source of how they're doing it and you can only attribute it to coming from God. And that's the place where these Samaritans were. Verse 12, we see that the present response uh, from Philip. And so when you see Philip come on the scene, you see this strong adversative in verse 12 where it says, but right. And this, this three letter word that contrasts everything that had happened before. But and so the contrast is of the deception of the Samaritans with Simon uh, and the truth that came from Philip. And what does he say here? Uh, they came to believe through the actual message and the acts that Philip was doing because the ones Philip was doing were real, right? There was no deception behind it. There was no mistaking the fact that this came from God. It's a, similar to what you see when Jesus came on the scene, right? That everyone could talk about and against the works that he was doing, they could try, but no man could do these things, right? I'm reminded of when uh, the Lord healed the blind man, right? And he had his parents that were scared to say <laughs> that he was blind before and that all of these things were true concerning him. So what did they say? Go ask him about it <laughs> when the Jews came to question him. But the Jews wanted to find a way to deny the fact of the miracle that had been done because they know that only one source could cause such a thing to happen. And so what did they do? They try to find a way to discredit it. Uh, you can't discredit those things that come from God. And we see a similar thing here with the Samaritans and their ability to eventually see the truth. And so they believed that the hearing of Philip's message, which was validated by these sign miracles. And so what was the result of that when they believed they were physically baptized? And so we have a lot of people, as you look at it, that believe you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, you have to be baptized by the spirit. You don't have to be physically baptized to be saved. That's just a sign of what happened within. And so many times when you see this through the book of Acts, they were baptized after their believing. It's a, an outward symbolic um, um, action of that which already happened within in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, we see the conversion finally of Simon. And so you look at Simon. And it says that uh, Simon, uh, here he's distinguished from the rest of the Samaritans, right? And called out from this group of individuals. We don't have any other names for these other Samaritans that are here within the city. But Simon is specified. Why? I think for a similar purpose of why Ananias and Sapphira there in the early church were pulled out from among the whole, right? I told you before at the start of this study that this book of Acts is the early conversion of the church. It is the spread of the gospel. But most importantly, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. And in these two instances, you can see no greater uh, uh, illustrations of the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, a lot of people will like to say that or intermingle the Holy Spirit is just an influence from God. Right. He's not an actual person, <laughs> but I don't know that a, a, an influence can be blasphemed, right? I don't know that an influence, you, you go and do something against this influence and it causes you to die as a result of those things you've done. The Holy Spirit is a person and you clearly see his personality all throughout this book of Acts, if you pay attention. And these are two instances where you really see it. And so here with Philip, I think you see again, the influence of the Holy Spirit is him that's allowing these apostles to have the power to do the miracles and the things that they're doing. 
and it really speaks to uh, his active influence with with believers. And so Simon finally believes uh, and he's baptized physically just like the others. And then Simon's faith after his conversion, he continued with Philip. And so this idea of, of continue, continuing with someone is to hold strong to oneself or of, of oneself to a teaching or doctrine uh, uh, or actions. And so we see uh, whatever Philip was teaching, Simon was holding to that. But what does Simon have? <laughs> we all have things that we carry into our presence in salvation that were with us. Prior to salvation, right? These little bents to the sin nature where the sin nature wants to say, hey, uh, let me come out and play for a bit, (laughs) right? I want to do this for a little while. And we all have those things that, you know, someone else might not be tempted by, but for us, it's a problem, right? And Simon has this thing that's ever before him that, hey, he likes to have power, right? He likes to see people uh, amazed by the acts that he's doing. And so one more time, you're going to see that rear its ugly head here in a little bit. Um, And so Peter or Philip, in turn, it says in verse 13, where he was awestruck or putting the people or making them awestruck before he comes to be awestruck by the works that Philip's doing. Look, look at uh, with me in verse 13. It says, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And he wondered or was astonished outside of himself, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And so you see there uh, where he was doing this to the people before because of those deceptive works that he's doing. He was doing now he's caused to be astonished at the works that are truly being done from Philip. And so that brings us to where we are, uh, where I think we left off actually in verse 14. And so in verses 14 through 19, you see the attempted purchase of the apostolic gift by Simon. And so here we get to the ugly sin nature (laughs) rearing its head. Go with me over to Galatians 5 before we get started here. And I want to show you how The sin nature can manifest itself in a religious manner. Galatians chapter 5. And it's contrasted here very clearly with the works of the flesh that come from God. Her works of the flesh, works of the spirit. (laughs) While walking in the spirit, you're going to do these works. Boy, that was almost a horrible, horrible mistake. You guys understood where I was really coming from, though. Um, and, And I can never come here without going to verse 16, because it's very important to what you're seeing of this strong contrast between how you walk when you're in the spirit and how you walk when you're in the flesh. It looks a lot different, right? Almost like a night and day difference. And so he says in verse 16, this I say, walk by the spirit. Now it says in the spirit in your text, but uh, that's an interpretive opportunity for you with the preposition that's used there. And I would really say by the spirit. The spirit is the mechanism and the source from which you're going to be able to walk in a way that aligns with the desires of God and allows you to produce the, the works of the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you guys have heard and been here enough uh, time that we know that this is stronger than that. Right. Many people and Pastor Dave in particular, I believe, did a, a paper on on showing 
how strong this is. It's not just a no, you won't walk in the flesh, right? And maybe sometimes you will. No, it's a you will never, ever, not even once possibly. You don't have the ability to walk in the flesh when you're walking by the spirit or to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so you see that here in verse 17, it says for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you desire. In uh, Galatians chapter five and verse 17 or verse 16, 17. Um, And so you see the the flesh and the spirit are in complete contrast with one another. Now, we're talking about uh, on Monday nights, the composition of man. And we look at the body of man. You look at the soul of man. You look at the spirit of man. And these all intersect right here with what we're talking about when you walk by the flesh. And we'll get into that a little bit down the line on Monday nights. But your body and your uh, your body is in a war, right? The, the spirit is influencing it one way and the flesh is influencing it in a total another, right? Your flesh is not saved. And that's where the realm of your uh, sin nature exists. And it can make, uh, 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 let's say, uh, attacks against your spirit and your body, right? And so your spirit says, hey, Uh, I don't want to do this because you're regenerated in your spirit, but your soul and that sin nature overrides what you like to do. And I've given the illustration before. What does it do? It goes and plugs in that old refrigerator, right? It goes and drives that old car around, that old clunker. that's not as good as the new version, but you just love that old car, right? (laughs) You've got to drive it. And so it wants to get out every once in a while. It manifests itself in Simon, and we're going to see that in his desire to have the affection and admiration of people, right? If he were walking by the spirit, then he would have never had a problem saying, you know what? I used to do this before and I used to influence people with what I was doing before, but it wasn't true, right? And God has a different role for me now. But what did Simon say? He said, ooh, (laughs) look at what they can do. I want some of that. I want to truly be able to influence people so people will look at me and say, whoa, this guy is a great power from God, like they used to say. Back to chapter five and verse 18, it says, but if we be led by the spirit, you are not under not the law. You're not under any quality of law. Right. You're freed from the law when you walk by the spirit. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now, why does he name these? Because he's telling you not that you put these up and say, boy, I'm doing this. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, it's it's a mirror for you to look at. Right. So when you say, boy, I'm walking and am I walking by the flesh or am I walking by the spirit? Well, if you see these works of the flesh that are manifest, you can say, boy, I'm not walking by the spirit. It's time for me to reframe my mind and get back to where I need to be. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sound familiar to what Simon was doing? And I would submit to you that this witchcraft is part of the works of the flesh wants to align with what God wants but wants to do it in its own manner, right? Sound similar to somebody that you know in scripture there at the very outset that I often cite? (laughs) It was happening early on with Cain, right? 
He didn't want to align with what God desired. He wanted to do what he wanted to do and have God bless what he offered. What I have to give is just as good as what God desires for me to give. And maybe he didn't say that openly, but his actions told it perfectly. And so as you're you're, uh, walking around in this witchcraft, it's part of your sin nature influencing you to do those things that you desire to do. Right. And have God approve those things. And this is where uh, Simon was. And so back over to chapter eight. Acts chapter eight. Yeah. And we see this uh, and keeping what in mind what we saw there in chapter five as we look at what's about to happen here with Simon. And so, you know, uh, for those that think that this sin nature was abolished. Well, why does it say there that Simon was saved and then Simon goes and does something that's obviously unrighteous here? Right. And you're going to see it very clearly. Uh, but in uh, verse Verses 14 and through 16, we see that uh, Peter and John come down to Samaria. And I think this is in line with what you see at the beginning of the book. Now, I did outline several things for you, and I mentioned those uh, here at the onset of what we're talking about today. But when we set into this book of Acts, it was many years ago, I don't know, probably two years ago, but we set into this book of Acts. And what did I tell you was one of the bigger ways that we can outline the book, how I've chosen to outline the book. The spread of the gospel by region. Right. And so you see it spread through Jerusalem. You see it spread through Samaria. You're going to see it spread even further than that. And then on to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Samaria being another city within uh, the whole of Israel. And then it's going to spread out even further to uh, the rest of Israel and then to the other uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, And so as you look at Uh, Here, the Samaritans believing, I believe that these apostles came down to confirm, right, that the the gospel has spread to these uh, Samaritans. And so what do they do? They send Peter and John uh, to confirm it. And so in verse 14, it says, now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that uh, Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, as you remember back, Peter and John, uh, two of the foremost apostles, right? They were the ones that were always with the Lord everywhere he went. When he went up to the mount to pray, who was with him? Peter, John and James. Um, And so you see these two uh, pop up again. I don't know where James was, probably still in Jerusalem. But at the top of page 91, you see the desire of the apostles to confirm the message had been received. And so as they get that, they can say, hey, another one to check off on the list. And it keeps spreading from there. And then it reiterates the strength of the apostles to stand in the hot zone of persecution. Now, if you or I were looking at this, we know that, hey, Stephen was uh, stoned in chapter seven at the end and great persecution began to spread throughout Jerusalem as a result of it. Right. So wouldn't this have been an easy opportunity for them to say, hey, uh, we've got these believers up here. Let's go out there and and. Stay in in Samaria with them or even further, as we see believers being established in other places. Let's get the heck out of here. Right. Why are we going to stay in Jerusalem where all of this persecution is taking place? But no, we see them go right back after they confirmed that these were uh, saved here in in, um, uh, Samaria. And so we see uh, uh, 
just a cross reference there, look back at verse one of chapter eight. And it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death, speaking of Stephen. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was where? At Jerusalem. <laughs> Why are you going to go back there? It reminds me of the story uh, with my father and his brother, Chris, who was fighting in the Vietnam War and he got malaria. Right. And so they send him back home. Wouldn't that be an opportunity to say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to go back into that, that war. People are dying all over the place. But guess what? He asked to be sent right back and went back over to Vietnam again uh, to fight in the war. And so you, you see that. Maybe he's a little crazy. I don't know. <laughs> but, but that's a similar example of, of you putting yourself in, in harm's way. And these apostles that were before running after uh, Christ was crucified, they're now ready to stand. And is it because something has changed with them? Is it because some uh, fortitude that they've seemed to cultivate within themselves now? No, I submit to you, this is evidence again that the Holy Spirit has a profound effect on individuals. We see Peter, hate to keep picking on him, but we see him with a little uh, a damsel, a little girl, young woman that's coming and telling him, you were with them. And he says, no, 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 it wasn't me. Right. That's this is that same Peter <laughs> that's ready to go back into Jerusalem and stand in the midst of persecution. Uh, shocking what God can do. Right. Verse 15 of chapter eight. Uh, we continue on and we see uh, who when they were come down, prayed uh, concerning them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about this before. This receiving of the Holy Spirit and how it was different. Uh, and, and why did these Samaritans not receive the Holy Spirit as soon as they believed? You would think, hey, the Holy Spirit has come. Everybody's going to receive the Holy Spirit now, right? But what I, we studied through, I think it was on the last time we, we looked this over, was that, and this is just my opinion here, the Holy Spirit didn't come immediately on individuals until the gospel had gotten out to all of those groups that God said that they were going to get out to. Because you see in chapter 10 what happens when the gospel spreads out to the Gentiles. They immediately receive the Holy Spirit. Right. A little different than what we see here with the Samaritans. And so the apostles have to come down and, and lay their hands on them and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, in verse 15, uh, we see that the apostles recognized that the Samaritans had not yet received the Holy Spirit and the apostles still uh, had to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And so as Simon is kind of mistaken here, right, that <laughs> the apostles have some power where I could just go around and, hey, Scott, you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. I'm going to lay my hands on you and you got them now. Oh, that's what some of our televangelists think now, right? Oh, put my hands on you and you receive this. Very key thing that they miss. <laughs> and they start shaking, right? Uh, something that they miss. Just like we miss something when we look at the armor of God. Everybody says, I'm just going to armor up because the devil is attacking me. No, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might first, right? And then he puts the armor on that you need for that situation. They're missing something here as well. What happened? Did they just come here and say, well, there's several people that don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go and start laying my hands on people and they're going to receive them. No, it says they prayed to God. 
And then we understand from that that the Holy Spirit is leading them to give these people the Holy Spirit. And, and you see this imparted to them. And so the apostles were interceding. And this word for prayer there is really our word for intercession. They're praying on behalf of another. Right. Now I've got this pe person here. I have a known need that they need the Holy Spirit. And so I'm praying to God that this individual would receive the Holy Spirit. And then they go and lay their hands on them and they re receive the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles uh, were interceding on behalf of the Samaritans through the process of worship communication with God. And I don't want to steal any thunder from the communication with God classes, which I know are part of the Bible Institute. But as you're praying, that is a form of communication, which we call worship. It's just become generally understood as prayer. Right. But you're worshiping God. You're telling him about the great attributes that he has that provides benefits to others. And you're giving him back that praise for those those things provided. And as you're doing that, other forms of communication come into mind. You worship him first and then you say, OK, yes, I have this need or I know someone else that has this other need. And here's what they were doing here. They're praising or worshiping God. And through that, they say, hey. These Samaritans here don't have the Holy Spirit. Would you send them? Would you allow them to, to have the Holy Spirit? And that's intercession. Verse 16. It says, therefore, as yet he was not fallen upon or he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord um, Jesus. And so here we see uh, that the Samaritans uh, hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And none of those that believed in Samaria had received the Holy Spirit as of yet. Now, this is just foreign to us, right? Because when we believe the facts of the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. Even if you don't feel it, if you don't feel like you're, you're filled, by, filled by the Holy Spirit, and that's common to our, our life as believers, right? There are going to be times that you feel in the Spirit, and there are going to be times that you don't feel it, but He's there, right? And so uh, that's just the battle of the soul and the Spirit, right? I feel a certain way. I interpret things another way through my uh, mental exercise. And we, we see that here. Uh, and those uh, that believed in Samaria not only acknowledged the message, but did also publicly by being baptized with water. And so here again, emphasizing water baptism doesn't save you. <laughs> we you guys, uh, that's a, a given to you guys. Right. But I'm submit to you there's people out there that believe you have to be baptized by water in order to be saved uh, not true according to scripture not according to Courtney uh, last one we see the spirit uh, baptism uh, had not taken place as of yet so this is similar to what we see as you go over to chapter uh, 17 of Acts and you find those group of believers uh, that uh, Paul runs into and what did he ask them have you received the Holy Spirit as of yet and they say we we don't even know that there should be such thing as a Holy Spirit. And what, what happens? He, he lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit as well. Um, but how were those people? What was the difference between them? I would submit to you those that said they were uh, baptized with John's baptism. They believed during Christ's earthly ministry. Right. And so the Holy Spirit was not come yet because Christ was still on the earth. And they weren't there at the day of Pentecost when the rest of the believers that believed during the gospel had received the Holy Spirit. And so here you have Paul uh, go and lay his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, 
we see the actual action of them laying their hands on. And so it says there, then uh, laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so this through the laying on of hands was the power from the from the apostle touching the Samaritans or was it by the Holy Spirit? Uh, we have a lot of people that uh, I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular, but they think uh, you got to put your hands towards people. Right. <laughs> you got to put your hands on people. I've, I've seen it where people pray prayers for favor for individuals and they say, well, stretch out your hands toward them <laughs> as if some power is being transferred from your hands to that individual. I would submit to you the apostles didn't even have to lay their hands on these individuals. It wasn't the power of the apostles. It was nothing they were doing. And this is why it's emphasized that they prayed beforehand. And the Holy Spirit imparted uh, to them uh, from the prayer to God. And so it's laying on of hands. We've seen it used throughout Scripture. Uh, it's used back in the Old Testament of Moses's public acknowledging of the legitimacy of Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua's lead. And so go back there real quick. We'll look at a couple instances of this laying on of hands. Uh, numbers. I didn't say where. Did I? <laughs> numbers chapter 27 and verse 23. And so as uh, Moses is wrapping up his life and you see old Joshua about to take the reins. Where we at? 27 and verse 23. Numbers. Yes, they are. <laughs> and pick it up in verse 18. It says, and the Lord said unto Moses, take thee Joshua the son of Nun a man in whom the spirit is and lay thy hand upon him and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and give him a charge in, the, in their sight and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient and so what is the key here the people are looking right <laughs> they're seeing this take place and they're going to see this action and know that as Moses has put his hands upon Joshua and is saying, this is legitimately a man from God, right? You should follow him. And you see it now that the Jews hold Moses in high esteem above all men, right? And they have, he, this was very important for them to see that God had recognized Joshua. You could have had a mass revolt there and uh, in, in who they're following. Verse 20, it says, and thou shall put, uh, or verse 21, excuse me, and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim uh, before the Lord. At the, his word shall thou go out, and his, at, at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge uh, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And so you see it uh, done there at the start uh, in the Old Testament. But we also see this done in the New Testament as well. Now, we've been uh, back in Acts chapter six, and we've talked about this several times since. But as you look at these deacons that were appointed, right? Uh, now, I suppose if we're following this standard, uh, Brother Scott, you and Brother Carl, we should have had you guys come up here and 
kneel on the ground, right? And we come and put our hands on your head and say, these guys are charged to be deacons within the church. And some power transfers from our hands to yours, right? No, this is, this is not what we do. But you see this here in the early church. And again, I think it's in that same spirit of recognition, right, that these men are appointed and these men are approved by God. Uh, and we see this here. But pick it up in verse 3. It says of chapter 6. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Pecurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parnamis and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem, Jerusalem greatly, and great com- a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So you see here, they told them to go out and appoint certain men, right? And they found these men and brought them back to the apostles, and they say, hey, these guys are approved. They checked the boxes, right? They, they uh, align with every uh, criteria that we gave you for picking deacons. Uh, similar thing to Brother Carl and, and Brother Scott, right? They fit the criteria. Um, and so uh, you see this laying on of hands there. We also see it over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, where Timothy's spiritual gift was said to be laid or, or imparted through the laying on of hands. Now, again... I caution you to say that the power was transferred through this individual, but this was an action that was done, the power truly coming from God in the imparting of this gift. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter four and verse fourteen. So remember the key here to what's going on in, in first and second Timothy is Paul really strengthening his pupil. Right. This is Timothy, who he's taught and he's now having to kind of get him back of the right mind because he's a little shaken by the things that happened to him at Ephesus and how people have treated him. Uh, So he's reminding him of things and he's giving him further instruction, both in both of these epistles, really. But in verse 11 of chapter four, it says these things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of uh, the believers in word in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, I don't say this just because I'm young, <laughs> a young guy, but you, you do get where people look at people in their age and that becomes an influence in how they're able to teach the word of God or should I listen to this person? Well, you should listen to anybody that aligns with scripture, right? And aligns with how God is has, uh, uh, as long as they're doing their proper study and aligning with the word of God, and this is the person God's appointed, what, what does age have to do with anything, right? As if you're going to gain some knowledge from the word of God just by your own power, right? That's what you're saying when you say that somebody, just because they're older, has more wisdom concerning the word of God. Now, there's practical things that can, can come along with that, and that's that's for certain, but uh, you see uh, Paul here encouraging Timothy not to be despised because of his youth. In verse 13, it says, Till I come, give attendance to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, 
which was given thee by prophecy and by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Pres presbytery. Boy, I couldn't say that. Um, and so as you uh, look at this, so if it were given to him because people laid their hands on him, then it would have also been given to him by the power of this prophecy that was made and not from God. Is that correct <laughs> or is that wrong? Right. You see an action done that just aligns with what God the Father desired. So it's not the laying on of hands that caused him to have this gift. It's not the prophecy that was there that caused him to have this gift. We understand that both of those came from God. And this action that happens or occurs is just men aligning with what God desired. And so, again, the origins of, of laying on of hands can be a, a very uh, crazy thing there when we take it out of context. Last, uh, over in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 2, and we'll close out here, uh, we see that it's uh, stated by the author of Hebrews that uh, this is an elementary <laughs> doctrine. This is not something that goes into the deeper things concerning those things that you should know. This is very basic, right? <laughs> this is the building blocks uh, of the faith. And so pick it up in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6. And so remember, this is coming off of chapter 5 where we looked at these uh, understanding that these believers were carnal, right? They, they weren't in a proper place where they needed to be to be able to receive more revelation concerning Melchizedek. And I'm kind of mad at them because I always have questions even to this day about who Melchizedek is. I would love to have answered, but because of these guys, <laughs> we don't have it in Scripture. Well... We, we're there too. Perhaps we'd be carnal and not be able to receive stuff at, at times as well. But in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles, the first things, the elementary things of, of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. I really hear that word for perfection can be better translated maturity. Let us be born along to a place where we are spiritually mature, right? Relatively speaking. You're not going to continue to do these elementary things to cause you to grow. But we see people doing these elementary things today, such as laying their hands on people. And, and it's not for a right purpose. Not laying, on, again, a foundation of repentance from dead works or faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptism, on the, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the son of God afresh and put him to open shame. You see, what is he saying here? These little elementary principles that are part of your first belief and understanding uh, of the gospel are not in weight with understanding that the power of the resurrection has power on your present tense salvation, right? And understanding that that is the only way that you can be born to maturing as a Christian, right? You understand how powerful it is that we are counted to have been raised together with Christ, right? And not just his death, burial, and resurrection, it's us being counted together with that. 
and so you see this here. Next week, we'll come back and look at the receiving of the, the Holy Spirit uh, by those uh, Samaritans, and we'll continue on uh, to completing this uh, little <laughs> saga with Simon and to see where he ends up as he asks for this gift to be imparted to him. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this day and grateful uh, again for the uh, missteps of some of those believers early that we can have uh, an understanding of what is truly required to live out this Christian life in a proper way and that you might be glorified through it. We pray that as we go into our week that we would uh, be mindful of our own uh, fallibility and the, the susceptible nature that we have to our sin nature uh, so that we would be aware of it and keep our mind directed uh, to who we are in Christ. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.